This podcast is proudly brought to you by Infinity Media, incubating innovative businesses in the media industry. Hi, I'm Gordon Muller. I'm the guru in the Doc and Guru podcast. Thanks for being with us. For those of you who don't know me, I've spent over 40 years in the media industry in South Africa and uh, pretty much made it my home, my life, my passion. I have other passions, unfortunately, for my sins. I'm an Arsenal supporter and a Shark supporter, so we're going to do pretty much everything on the show as it pertains to media, marketing and money, but we don't take jokes about Arsenal or the Sharks. I'm Doug Mateus, uh, the doc on the show. Uh, and again, for those of you who don't know me, I've I spent 30 years in, in uh, various companies in South Africa uh, running uh, different marketing functions. And the last job I had, I was privileged in, uh, enough to work with a team that took uh, the brand to the fastest growing brand in South Africa in 2018 with a 47% year-on-year growth. So that was a, a great achievement uh, for the team and, and, and I'm really proud of that. Uh, from a personal point of view, I do a little bit of cycling uh, and also snow skiing. So we quite enjoy that. But again, uh, today's discussion is around all things marketing and media. Yep, that's right, Doc. All things marketing and media. No subject too big, no topic too small, no subject too hot to handle please get in touch with us on our facebook page follow us like us whatever it takes we would love you to be involved with the show and uh, we really want to make it as inclusive and as energetic as i know this industry is capable of hi everyone welcome to this week's doc and the guru gordon how's it going I'm going well, Doc. It's uh, you know I think like all of us, we're looking forward to some sort of clarity on the on on the way forward. Um, but yeah, it'll be what it'll be. You know, yeah. let's get the facts on the table. If you're playing chess, best you know the rules. So if yeah. somebody can just tell me what the the rules are, then I can start moving the chess pieces. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's I think a lot of people are feeling like it, Gordon. But I think onto today, you know, we can't uh, today we can't change those macro issues, and hopefully we do as citizens of the country have a say in that. Um, but today, just on a more immediate matter, we have Ryan Williams, Ryan uh, CEO, Stu Kinikor. He's going to chat to us about a cinema where it's at, where it's at. Uh, Ron, big welcome, and thanks very much for taking the time. How's it, gents? Uh, thanks, thanks for setting this up. It's uh, only a pleasure to be chatting to you. I think, um, as uh, as Gordon said, you know, I think the uh, the environment we find ourselves in, I don't recall ever seeing this in any management textbook uh, I'd ever read, uh, nor do I remember anybody ever saying, by the way, have you thought about how you run a business uh, when there's a global pandemic? So I think uh, it feels a bit like we're stuck in a, a 90s sci-fi flick yeah. and uh, and certainly I think there's a whole bunch of Gordy you mentioned you know learning the rules for how to move the chess pieces I think there's also a fair amount um, certainly in the business community and in, in governments around the world of uh, inventing the rules as we go because nobody really knows uh, how to deal with this to be honest yeah and I, and I think you know in that sense you wonder sometimes whether the the world hasn't been run by a bunch of rugby referees because they're the accident also invent the rules. Uh, any English referees out there? Are you? Is, is Boris Johnson being, you know, uh, advised by English rugby referees? That's the big question for me today. <laughs> Ryan, uh, you're right, and you know, there, there's certainly no rules. And hopefully, it's the first and the last time for for most of us in our lifetime that we have to live through this. So let's just talk. 20, 2018, uh, you took over CEO Stuart Kinney, so two years ago, off um, a, 
sort of a tough 2017. I think the content slate out of Hollywood wasn't great. Uh, audience numbers from, from what I'm reading wasn't there. Um, so let's just talk about 2018, 2019. What's going on with the movie landscape? Are people going to the movies? Uh, and has there been an uplift in terms of, of the content from, from the studios as well as the audiences and, of course, the corporate spending money with you? Yeah, sure. Thanks, uh, thanks, Doug. I think, um, you know, the content is the content. Uh, it's one of the peculiarities, I think, of the cinema environment is that on one hand, we're a retailer, right? We, we sell film experiences. And, uh, and on the other hand, uh, unlike any other retailer, our product range changes every Friday. So, you know, you have a, you have a fresh shelf, uh, which can be both to your benefit uh, or to your sorrow. Uh, early 2018, um, we had a bit of a watershed moment for the country when um, Marvel released Black Panther, mm. became the first film in South African history to gross uh, over 100 million rand at the box office across all cinema chains. Um, and I think, you know, what it demonstrated at, at that point in time was that if you have the right stuff on screen, uh, people really do still want to come to the movies. I think the... The you know and it's not just from a not just from a, a box office point of view but from a volumetric point of view. Uh, if memory serves, I think Black Panther is the fifth biggest uh, film in South African history uh, in terms of the number of number of tickets sold. Or certainly going back to kind of the early nineties, late eighties. Mm. Um, you know, you thought kind of well, that's a that's a really good story to take to market. And then last year we had Lion King, which which beat Black Panther both in terms of volume as well as in terms of box office. So. You know, is there a, a question mark around the relevance of cinema? I think, you know, when the content's right, the answer to that question has got to be that cinema absolutely still has a place. And I know there's been a lot in the media about, um, you know, particularly during this COVID time, you know, streaming and, uh, and the demise of cinema. And as I've said to a few of the, the journalists who contacted me you know, in the past sort of year or so, if, uh, if streaming was the future of content, uh, there's an analogy that we already have in the real world for um, home delivery of food. If convenience is the only thing that matters, mm. we wouldn't have a single restaurant left. Yeah. Uh, everything would be delivering. And I think it talks to fundamentally that uh, in, in many of the spaces, people seem to pitch the story around cinema and streaming as, as a binary choice. And they forget that there's a third option, which is both and. Yeah. In fact, in the US uh, last year, there was quite a comprehensive study done um, around uh, streaming viewership and cinema viewership and overlaps. And uh, interestingly, the heaviest uh, streaming consumers, as well as the heaviest um, piracy consumers, are also the most frequent cinema goers. And I think it talks to, there's a commitment amongst a cohort of people to to sort of two-hour film format that they like. And and for them, different modes of access represent different experiences on that film content. Um, so yes, people are still coming to the movies and uh, and rock right now while we while we're closed due to uh, due to COVID. But I think the the upside for us is that uh, Hollywood has chosen to delay um, most of the major films uh, that they're going to be releasing theatrically. So Bond is going to open in November. Uh, Chris Nolan's Tenet is set now for the 17th, I think, of July. Disney are releasing Mulan uh, on the 24th of July, somewhere around about there. Um, 
Warners are putting out the next Wonder Woman installment in August. So the content wheel is slowly starting to turn as the theatrical environment opens up. Um, so yeah, I think uh, I think certainly from that perspective, things are moving in a positive direction. We've also seen uh, a dramatic growth in in our ad sales business over the last two years. Um, uh, we have some theories about why that why that might be the case, apart from the fact that you know obviously we have a a strong platform in South Africa, but um, uh, you know it'd be interesting to see what happens to the advertising community on the whole uh, on the back of COVID. I think there's a lot of uncertainty <clears throat> for everybody. One of the things that I would be worried about is not whether um, there's a media appetite um, to invest in cinema advertising, but whether there's a production appetite to invest in um, in quality AV content on the back of this. You know, I can't see big grand productions. Uh, in the short term after COVID, as I think there's, there's um, budgets are going to be quite tight, you know. Yeah, I think the production uh, issue is an interesting one. Um, what we're seeing with a lot of the trend surveys is that you can't have business as usual. Uh, there will be new content produced for, for commercials, but it, it's going to have to focus on the brand's contribution, brand purpose, uh, the community role of the brand. So I think there'll be a lot of new content where, you know, for me, it's, you know, whether cinema is going to be the distribution platform. But just to take a step back, I mean, PricewaterhouseCoopers has produced that amazing report uh, every year, and they certainly showed a 10% increase year on year for, from 2018 over 2017 for for cinema. That's, that's, you know, in terms of advertising and consumer support. But one of the big developments in the last couple of weeks has been Universal Pictures breaking the, you know, the, cast in stone three-month window agreement they you know their trolls world tour uh movie was released directly onto uh amazon prime uh and you've got the same thing coming up with warner brothers i think with their scooby scoob is it scooby-doo franchise they were they also launched yeah. yeah onto amazon prime so what happens if that three-month window breaks i mean i see that the Odeon and Cinema World, the distribution channels globally, big channels, are pushing back and they are refusing to screen any of the Universal Fast Forward franchise, uh, Fast and the Furious franchise and the Jurassic World franchise. So there's kind of a, a distribution war going on at least between one of the studios um, and, and the three-month window. Uh, and Warner Brothers, as I say, if they are pushing through Amazon Prime, for for the new Scooby Doo franchise, where where is that battle? That's that was a, that's about a couple of weeks off the pace now. That discussion. So so thanks, Gordon. I think the um, again, you know, there's uh, uh, naughty journalism going on. You know, firstly, I point out that you know you've had so far one title uh, move to PVOD Premium VOD um, out of I don't know. 50 or 60 that have been uh, moved out or redated. Uh, the second thing is, I think, and and it means that we have to go a little bit down the rabbit hole of how the economic model behind film production works to explain what's actually happened here, is that um, most feature films that are produced um, are structured into special purpose vehicles and carry behind them debt gearing uh, and rights issues, depending on things like soundtrack and uh, uh, imagery and locales and so on. Uh, in the case of something like Trolls, where you've typically got uh, third-party music rights uh, invested in the film, uh, the there is a defined window um, that they have to get that thing into theatres um, or move on. 
And, and they'd already committed quite significant marketing budgets around the world for the launch of the film by the time COVID happened. So they really had no choice but to press play on getting this thing out into, uh, into the public domain in one way, shape or form. Um, and I think what a lot of the people are ignoring is, you know, whilst Universal have come out and said, you know, I think it was after the first three weeks, they said, what an amazing success, you know, Trolls has been. We've made $90 million in the first three weeks through PVOD. Um, nobody bothered to point out that the first Trolls movie did $123 million in the same period when it opened in cinemas only. And, and this talks to kind of the theatrical window won't die unless uh, the studios fundamentally re-engineer their business model. So generally on a piece of film, uh, lifetime revenues that a studio will generate from a piece of film will range between 50 and 55% in the cinema landscape. That means for the biggest films, 45% of the revenue return on those films uh, happen in everything else, pay television, subscription video on demand, premium video on demand, transactional video on demand, free-to-air to, uh, television channels, and so on. And takes years um, for the balance of that money to come in versus uh, the present value of cash that they get in the first 12 weeks when they make back half of the investment. As long as the studios are making $200, $300 million productions, uh, there's no ways that they can afford not to have uh, the theater window. And the risk is that, you know, the cinema businesses around the world, you know, go and look at any of the listed entities, uh, are like, you know, are, are retailers. So they're typically trading at sort of high single digit margins, um, which means if you have a 10 or 15% drop off uh, through a window shaving or, or you know, you could decimate uh, the theater networks, not for countries like South Africa, where it's kind of irrelevant, but in places like North America, where, you know, a lot of those returns come from. And to put it in context, if you look at the Disney business model, uh, their theme park business um, makes about, if memory serves, about 40 or 50% more revenue than uh, what their theatrical business does or their studio business does. And about double the profits. But those theme parks don't exist without the properties that they've created in the theatrical space or in the content space. So, so unless there is a fundamental change in the way in which the studios make money and a fundamental change in the way in which uh, in the scale of the productions that they make and the quantity of the productions that they make, no, the cinema window isn't going anywhere just because the commercial imperatives don't support it. That's why they've done things like, okay, we're not going to release Bond. We're just going to hold it off. Universal held Bond off uh, until November. Um, they didn't release that to premium video on demand. Trolls is a unique case in point. I think there is an argument to suggest, and this might be one of the things coming out of COVID that would be, I think, useful for the, for the cinema industry. I think there's too much content that gets released theatrically, and I'm not sure that all of that content is warranted um, to go into cinemas. Um, you know, there are there are films coming out where, you know, quite frankly, whether you watch them at home or you watch them in a theatre, it's sort of irrelevant. But I can't envisage a world where the quality of the experience that a good, you know, a good cinema setup gives you behind something like The Avengers, you know, as a Marvel product, or indeed Bond or Fast and the Furious or Top Gun when it comes out later in later in the year. I can't envisage a world where uh, where these things are better viewed on a laptop uh, than they are you know, on a giant IMAX screen with thumping sound that you can't duplicate at home. 
Yeah, well, so, you, you can duplicate it at home. If, you know, let's assume that some people have a better play facility than a laptop. But I mean, I I, I take your point, and certainly the point on the on the watch and bar. Uh, you know, many people are watching the movie. I mean, Bohemian Rhapsody. There's one you don't want to be watching on anything else other than the big screen. So I, I certainly went and watched that, and and have subsequently watched it, you know, streaming as well. So uh, the double bar to the cherry, I think, is, you know, uh, no question about that. But ultimately, you know, if you are investing in a big system at home, you can recreate a lot of that that kind of stuff. Um, but you say, you know, they will have to rethink the business. And uh, it's COVID-19. So is why would they be exempt from that? Everybody is going to have to rethink every aspect of every business right now, nothing is going to play out the same. So is the big catalytic shift human behavior? Forget the business model, is is the real shift human behavior? And if I want to go to movies in a post-COVID environment and I'm a moviegoer and I will be going back as soon as I can, um, can I sit next to my wife? Do we? Do you have to have every second row filled? Can you ever fill uh, a cinema again with you know, if, if social distancing becomes a new norm. You're listening to The Dark and the Guru, proudly brought to you by Infinity Media. Um, again, you must remember our businesses, um, cinema operators globally, um, trade on, on a blended average of about sort of depending on the territory, anywhere between 10, 11, and maybe 15% occupancy. So social distancing isn't really a problem for the theatrical environment. And I, I get it that, you know, kind of that's, that's skewed. It's a skewed picture because nobody comes at 10 o'clock on a Thursday morning and lots of people come at 8 p.m. on a Friday night. Mm. Um, but if you look at some of the early markets that have opened, you know, all of this is kind of crystal ball. Norway has opened, uh, this was sort of end of week before last, um, They'd opened about 15% of their cinemas already. And we're trading at something like 98% occupancy or 96% occupancy. Um, they didn't implement uh, social distancing measures um, um, for whatever reason, those are the structures in their territory. Um, other environments that have introduced uh, social distancing. So maybe what it means is, you know, your 10 screen multiplex, the five of the screens are playing that week's big release. And that's why I say, I think that, one of the outcomes will be probably fewer films released theatrically, um, maybe played more broadly and played for longer, more like it was in the 90s, um, which I think would be a healthy space for uh, for cinema to play in. And I guess, you know, the comment around the, the home setup, the bulk of the cinema audience is sort of under 35. And, you know, you've got to, you've got to spend quite a lot of money to get something that approaches... Uh, a cinema quality experience. Um, you know, your amortized costs by the time that tech wears out, uh, you know, you'd, you'd be far cheaper going to a movie house. And obviously, I think, you know, there's another fundamental aspect, which is the human behavior of wanting to be out of home. Um, if we look at what's happened with drive-ins uh, during this COVID period, I was talking to a CEO of one of the German cinema chains week before last, and she was saying to me that um, they've been running three weekends um in the drive-in space, sold out all three weekends. We've seen similar kind of results in South Korea and in the southern US. And then indeed, we're busy um, putting together plans of our own uh, to investigate whether we can do this here in South Africa. The uh, the lifting of curfew helps with that 
substantially because we were a bit worried about, well, you know, if you have to be home by eight, I can't show you a half an hour's worth of film. That's kind of sure. not, not, not worth it, right? Yeah. But um, I think that there's that, that human behavior to, to want to be outside, to want to go and do things, to want to have collective experiences. We've done a poll here in South Africa of, uh, agree, uh, granted of the cinema-going population, not of um, non-cinema-goers, um, to ask them kind of what is your appetite uh, for coming back to, to our environment, um, not circuit per se, but cinemas in general. And it's very consistent with similar research studies that have come out in other markets around the world. So around about half of the cinema goers reckon they'll be back in the first month and about 75% reckon they'll be back in the first three months. Um, and, and they're basing that claim, or part of that claim is, is adjusted for uh, what content is releasing when. And all of them, without exception, sort of 90-odd percent say, you have to reassure me that I won't get a disease from coming to your environment. So the health and safety standards and social distancing protocols, et cetera, those things have to be put in place uh, in order for cinemas to be viable. How long that's going to last, uh, Gordon, is anybody's guess. You know, maybe that's a permanent fixture of our lives. Maybe it's a six-month fixture of our lives. Maybe it's a five-year fixture. We don't know. Mm. Um, what we do know is that it's going to be a prerequisite to get our business going again. Um, and so we'll implement it for as long as we need to implement it. Yeah. I think absolutely, Ryan. And I think, you know, what you're saying, and, and, and to echo Gordon's point is, there's a lot of uncertainty. That's an obvious point. Um, I think the models, you know, if I look and, and listen, if I understood you correctly, I think perhaps globally, the big movie houses will look at some changes. I don't know if that's sustainable. I think, and, and hopefully for you guys, Trolls isn't the start of what could be a run on that, you know. Um, the other side, on the more positive side, is it's good to see that, you know, Norway will be at a different territory to South Africa have got that. I'm just wondering how much of that is artificial. In other words, you know, in talking with people, be it anecdotal, a lot of people are saying they want to get out, they want to experience the stuff that they've been, been missing. But, um, you know, whether that, no, that behavior will normalize over time. In other words, people may go to a driving as a novelty, uh, but not not sustain it. So, you know, it's a question of it. And hopefully for your sake, you know, the, the, the core of your cinema goers are going to be sustained and they're going to be going a long term. And it's not just a, a short term blimp, you know, in terms of the novelty factor. I would say it's the same thing when you look at the streamers, right? Yeah. Um, I know several people um, in my personal social circle that I think are, are about to receive their you've completed Netflix badge. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, you can't use examples from this time where you've got people closeted at home with little else to do and limited access to content yeah. um, to support the commercial argument behind uh, a collapsing of the windows. And again, you know, I point to, I point to the, the history in, in streaming businesses. Now, global cinema unique attendances, uh, according to uh, Statista, uh, are still growing, uh, whereas businesses like Netflix, depending on market, are flat or in decline. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's telling when you look at some of the streaming businesses, and I'll use Netflix as an example again because they're listed, um, you know, they've ballooned in the last two years from something like 2 or $3 billion worth of debt on their balance sheet to nudging 14 or $15 billion worth of debt on their balance sheet against uh, uh, an EBITDA performance at about $2.5 billion. So they're trading it almost seven times their cash flow from a debt point of view. We haven't seen another business in another category um, be sustainable with those kind of um, uh, debt to EBITDA multiples 
over an extended period of time. And the proof in the pudding is you just can't produce high-quality content uh, cheaply enough to make that a sustainable model. So even for the streaming businesses, and I think Amazon is a good example, Amazon have publicly said in the past uh, that they're quite interested in protecting um, theatrical release windows um, because they see that as valuable to their um, to the way their food chain works. Um, and I mean, there's been some speculation about them potentially stepping in to buy AMC um, and getting into physical theatres the same way as they've bought, uh, bought Whole Foods. And there's some really interesting kind of dialogue around whether that um, presents quite a different world um, to have somebody like an Amazon um, with so many integrated through the line uh, delivery vehicles. You know, if you think about those kind of properties, and Gordy, you say, how does the how does the business model change for these guys? If I'm Bezos and I'm looking at Amazon, it's kind of well, I've got all the retail delivery behind this property in real estate, whether that's in books, in gaming, in figurines, um, in branded goods and merchandise and collateral, whether that's t-shirts or duvet covers or whatever the hell it is. I've got I've got an absolute pipeline to be able to deliver all the branded goods. I also own um, uh, a, a direct-to-home delivery vehicle. And now maybe I can also own the physical delivery vehicles, um, uh, you know, the bricks and mortar side of things as well. And I think that changes the dynamic where, you know, previously you had the content guys sitting at the heart of this and licensing stuff out to a retail platform that owns all of this value chain. Um, and I think that's quite an interesting dynamic to keep an eye on. It certainly is a different perspective. And you've raised two really uh, interesting issues in there. I mean, the bricks and mortar component of it, uh, you've just talked about, but also you talked about gaming. Uh, I mean, if you look at the growth of gaming around the world, um, even in South Africa, it's had phenomenal growth. So where you had 10% growth 2018 over 2017 year on year, Gaming over the same period had uh, at 48% growth, and PwC projects their growth at 30% per annum. Um, is there anything in the future plans going forward to use the bricks and mortar, to use the facilities in cinema, to have things like live gaming, streaming gaming tournaments? I mean, I'm gobsmacked. I am much more centered in the, in the world of the 90s that you spoke of, and that release pattern makes a lot of sense to me. I'm astounded by visuals I see of stadiums of 100,000 people watching live gaming tournaments. I mean, it's just like, I can't get well, it. Do you know that the the highest paid athlete on the planet now is no longer a golfer or a tennis star or a Formula One racer or a footy, or a footy player? Um, it's now a, a, an esports gamer out of uh, China or Korea uh, or Thailand or Hong Kong. They no, get paid yeah, more now you're depressing. <laughs> now you've, you've really exactly. I'm just going to hand it over to the doc. Doc, I'm out <laughs> of my depth here. I want more, take take me take me somewhere happy. That's more depressing for you, Gordon, than an English ref. I mean, that's, absolutely. That's how bad it's gone. <laughs> Listen, the most or not oh. watching Arsenal play. No. I mean, you know, you want to okay, get now. Your now team. you're really putting the boot. You in. Are, no, no, no. I meant <laughs> that in the best possible way. You want to get your team in the park. Huh? <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest gaming franchises in South Africa is the, the FIFA franchise, right? Yeah. A lot of these gaming clubs and so on and tournaments are around FIFA here. Um, so, I mean, I think there's something quite surreal about packing a stadium out to watch gamers play a digital version of a real world sport. <laughs> it's you know, just well, kind of like quite 
Even the real world sport is behind closed doors these these days. So I mean, there's not going to be a lot of difference between the game and and the closed doors live sport. Um, but just on that theme as well, with all those bricks and mortar assets there, we've been chatting this morning as well about education. There's a huge opportunity to open up these platforms as educational facilities for universities and other tertiary institutions. And I think you've Correct. done that. You've done that before, if I'm not mistaken. Was it store schools? Uh, and we still right? do it. Yeah. Uh, we still do it. So we run uh, in conjunction with a business called Prime Stars. We run uh, matric maths and science mm. uh, programs, or they do. They just use our facilities. Um, uh, they run an entrepreneurship program. There's a financial literacy program and a career guidance program that runs in uh, in our real estate through the year. Um, and we touch the lives of about 100,000 uh, underprivileged kids each year through one of these programs. The... Um, I think that there's absolutely a role for that going forward, uh, and we certainly have, we see no reason why that why that shouldn't continue into the future. Um, we also think that in a, a socially distanced world, um, you know, potentially it provides an, an alternative for um, kind of classroom management because I do think that you know classrooms or schools haven't been engineered with social distancing kind of at its core. You know, and cinemas, what we do best is manage volume. Now, all our systems are geared to managing the flow of people in and out of a space. Uh, we allocate where you get to sit. So I think there's I think there's a lot of room uh, in that space. And I think your point on gaming is spot on. Um, what hasn't been proven globally uh, is a sustainable business model around, call it the localized clubs. Because like any other sport, you know, there's there's a very fine pinnacle um, where, a lot, where a handful of people are making a fortune of money. Um, uh, and really where the commercial model gets scale is how do we tap into that next, those next tiers. Um, and the risk in esports, I guess, is that, you know, we wouldn't want to be, if we were playing in the space, we wouldn't want to become, you know, local darts or, or pool or snooker uh, leagues on a Thursday night where you've got maybe, you know, 30 or 40 people participating and that's kind of where it starts and stops. So we're doing some legwork at the moment um, without getting into too much detail, but um, we are doing some legwork at the moment on how would you build uh, a sustainable commercial model um, behind esports on a regularized fashion. It's quite easy to fill a, a stadium or, a, you know, something like Rage you know, for a once a year big hit event or twice a year big hit event. But how do you do that uh, three times a week every week? Yeah. Um, and that's really where, the, where we're focusing our attention. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, Ryan, I guess it is sustainability. And I mean, you guys for years now have been doing the education, you've been doing corporate events. And so you've been using, you know, your bricks and mortar and, and hopefully getting that, that through flow. I mean, from our side, we unfortunately running out of time. I'm going to leave it to Gordon to close off. But again, Ryan, thanks very much for your time for a very fascinating talk. And besides, you know, the EBITDA ratios and all of that, I mean, for the average consumer, the average moviegoer out there, you if you could just leave them with a positive message, one or two of the titles, as you mentioned, just to recap that they can look forward to the big bond at the end of the year as one of them. Um, and hopefully, you know, for, for your side and, and your staff and your business model, people will come back and embrace the big screen again. So from our side again, uh, Ryan, thanks very much. Yeah, Ryan, uh, again, also from our side, thank you for that's really been informative and, uh, and I think you've unpacked it incredibly well for us. It's just 
perhaps we and, and me in particular as a media guy, we kind of set in our way of viewing cinema as, a, as an advertising platform rather than this uh, experience uh, you know, that you've been describing. And just as a final closing, a final closing point here, in terms of sustainability and high-paid athletes, are you not still trying to pull that stunt? I'm playing off an 18 because I've got a bad back thing. Because I just want to know, because we're going to be hopefully yeah, playing uh, golf, be, be playing golf soon. I want to just make sure you've you've got off that uh, bad back plateau. Yeah, sadly, um, sadly the the handicap card caught up eventually. Um, <laughs> so uh, so yeah, I think it, I think it's going to be uh, it'll be trending in the wrong direction when we get back out on course. But <laughs> you know, so yet, um, I'm I'm quite looking forward as you are. I think to. Uh, Game of where the hell did I hit that to? You know, um, uh, yeah, thanks again for the chat, right. guys. Um, it's always a pleasure talking to both of you, and I think you know it's handy for us to have the opportunity through platforms like this to talk about you know and correct some of the misapprehensions. I think of of what's going on in in cinema land. You know, it's too easy to fall uh, into the trap of what the headlines say, as opposed to kind of how the nuts and bolts of of the sector works. I think, Doug, to your point, just to kind of quick skim through. Some of the cool stuff coming, you know, for families at the end of July, we should have Milan, as I mentioned, Wonder Woman. Trolls is actually um, uh, scoped to release theatrically in South Africa um, in the middle of August as well. Um, got a whole bunch normally in that kind of September, October period. It's the sort of the, the glory time for all the horror films because you're heading into Halloween. So you kind of get that flow over. Um, and then towards the back end of the year, I mean, there's some really, really, really good stuff coming out. So... We start off with Bond. There's another Crudes animated film for families. Um, there's uh, Marvel continue uh, with their run. So we've got Black Widow coming out in November, which was delayed from uh, from March because of COVID. Um, there's a Dune reboot. There's uh, Top Gun. Um, uh, Mavericks coming for a slightly different audience segment. There's uh, At this stage, they're planning to release West Side Story on the 18th of December, which I think could be quite interesting. Um and so things start to flow from there. We see a lot of good content coming. And uh, as I said right at the beginning, you know, what we've learned over the years is if the films are right, uh, people pitch up. So we're looking forward to a, a good run as we go forward. Well, that's great. Well, we look forward to seeing you at the silver screen. And for our listeners out there, uh, if you're not going to movies, don't forget to tune in free or subscribe to the Doc and Guru podcast. You'll find us on our normal platforms on Iona or on Facebook. But once again, Ryan, thanks for the time. Doc, we'll see you next week. Ciao, everybody. Thanks, guys. Cheers, Ed. Cheers, guys. And so that was another episode of The Doc and the Guru. Please don't uh, forget to get hold of us on Facebook. Like us, follow us, uh, subscribe to the podcast. And then from my side, you can get hold of me on LinkedIn, Dr. Doug Mataz. I'm uh, very active and very keen to hear about your views uh, and certainly will respond and hopefully we can bring that into the show. Thanks, Doc. And it's uh, Gordon Miller, the guru, signing off. Thank you for being with us and listening into this podcast today. You can pick up the discussion with me on my Twitter handle, at Mzanzi Media. And I'd love to engage with you on any of the issues that we've taken on in the show. And take us at our word. This is really going to be an open forum. There are no subjects that are taboo. And we'd love to have some of the younger, more under-listened, if that's the correct phrase, uh, voices to join us uh, in this discussion. Thanks for your time. The Dark and the Guru, proudly brought to you by Infinity Media, incubating innovative businesses in the media industry.